Hello and welcome to Carbide Content. I'm David from Contraption Collection. I am Grant from Fellowship Blades. And I'm John from Triaxis. So I've decided to take a week off, which is good, or I don't know how long off, but it, uh, about the, you know, I was doing stuff even uh, last week after the sale and after the podcast ended. I told Dalen, who uh, he hasn't taken time off, so he's he he said he hasn't slept in thirty eight hours, so that's why he's not on the podcast. He's going to sleep, but anyway, I told him, you know what, I'm going to take some time off right after the podcast, and I have been, and it's good. But uh, what did, what have you guys been up to? It sounds like maybe you guys are chilling a bit too. I have the the weird problem where I'm like, if I don't take a break, I'm going to feel burnt out. But then I try to take a break and then I'm like, man, I should really be working right now. I, I know that. Yeah. I know. <laughs> so I'm That's, like yeah. in a constant loop of I should take a break, but you never really take one. Yeah, I'm taking a I, break and I'm just that meme where it's like the guy standing in different locations just staring. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I always feel like guilty whenever i take like i i kind of impromptu work from home this week and i just felt super guilty i was like i'm not in the shop yeah. even though i had i had i needed accounting to do and i was like i, I can't be in the shop because i get distracted in the shop yeah. yeah for sure yeah i get like the you walk in the door and you're like oh my god there's 15 things i need to accomplish right yeah. now and then you start yeah. running around and that's and they're all much more fun than accounting <laughs> yeah that's for sure but it can be kind of like draining a little bit to have even a bunch of small tasks in front of you and you're like i have to knock these out as quick as possible otherwise i keep thinking about them kind of thing yeah At least yeah kind of oh way, yeah. So. yeah well yeah. i like I, keeping a to-do list or writing things on a whiteboard and you know that it's satisfying being able to wipe them out yeah i have tried every organizational type list solution under the sun and I never stick with them after like a couple weeks or days or yeah. hours. So I just don't fill them. Yeah, I do a little bit of a different approach because I'm I'm very much a chaotic being. Um, I thrive in a little bit of chaos. Yeah. However, when the tiny, tiny stuff piles up where it's like just thinking about how much stuff I have to do takes up my morning and then I end up not really doing anything. Um. I find just writing it down for that, like for that day, write down what I think I can do that day and then get the tiny stuff out of the way. I don't have like a, a week list rollover or like a monthly to do consistent thing, but it's only when I get like overwhelmed with the small stuff, it writing it down makes me, it helps me a lot. Cause I feel like I can sort of delegate myself as long as it's written down mm -hmm. and like, okay, for the next hour, you're going to spend time on the service grinder. Don't worry about accounting. Don't worry about pictures or machining. Yeah. Just focus on that thing. Yeah, I definitely had the the moments where I'm like, okay, the service grinder is doing its thing. I could be doing this other thing right now and try to balance the two. And then I'm like, well, the quality of one does suffer. And it seems to be easier just to do things in order, even if you feel bad that you could be doing the other thing. It just seems yeah. like you do a better job even though it takes longer kind of thing. Yeah, I yeah, I definitely think so. Yeah. Also, I think this applies more to big stuff, uh, but I've tried really hard to get better at 
specifically writing like the first thing I need to do, like not on my list, make a pair of scissors. The like very first thing is like order stock, Yeah, you know, like, you know, you have to, and that could just seem like a, a list of small things, but often like just even those small things, it's like, you know, well, what do I need to order stock? And it's like, well, you know, I got to go count how much stock I have or, or, uh, you know, whatever it may be like trying to get specific and as, as like exact or, or if you're like stop something in the middle of it, try to write down where you stopped so that you know how to start again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm very much like, it's gotta be done right now for me to do it kind of thing. Like it's due right now, which is like, can be good is usually bad, <laughs> but yeah, well, that's, that's what really bit me with this whole accounting thing is like six months ago, I was like, oh, I need to get real books so that, you know, I can get a loan together or like be ready for taxis or, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. And so I got, you know, QuickBooks going and ended up completely screwing it up. And I was like, oh, you know, I'll just do this later. <laughs> and then, you know, ev- every day there's something else that like requires immediate attention. And you, like yeah. I said, it's usually much more fun. Like I, I enjoy working on the surface grinder. It's a pain in the butt, but man, like turning wrenches is fun. Yeah. Um, but now I'm like, I need a loan kind of by the end of the year or like at least in January. Or I want a loan like soon to get the sile. And, yeah. and I'm like, I, I don't have my books in order. They are a complete mess. <laughs> and so now I need to like do professional accounting for the last year in a week's time. <laughs> and now it's too much. <laughs> yeah, I can I can one up you on that where I got like uh, I was like, oh, I don't like QuickBooks. QuickBooks. I wasn't even using it, but I was paying yeah. for it. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna switch to. I think it was zero in like mm-hmm. March, maybe. And I opened it in March, and I've been paying for it. And I like, I stopped paying for it in like September, but I hadn't opened it since. Oh no! <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I'm gonna get to it one day. You know what? No, I'm not. I'm just gonna stop this subscription. So yeah, we'll see what happens on you know 15 days from now when I'm like, oh, yeah. I probably should should do something about that <laughs> yeah i i don't mind the accounting idea like I, when i would actually use quickbooks correctly it was really helpful just to like forecast and see what my real expenses are and stuff like that um but at quickbooks specifically i totally messed up the system because you can like technically duplicate charges if you yes. import data incorrectly yeah, and it's near impossible to actually delete a charge, yeah, because it's like, oh, that's a real charge. We got to make sure it's somewhere. And so, like, QuickBooks won't let you delete things, and and that's what my books are just totally off the walls, incorrect. And so now, even the stuff I liked, which was like being able to look at my real expenses and forecast things, and, and now I can't even do that. So, yeah, I have definitely ran into the exact same thing where it's like you. You Google like, well, how do I fix this? And they're like, just create a separate account and restart. And I'm like, yeah, oh, cool. Yeah, and I paid. I paid, so I I like bought their live bookkeeping service, which is a real CPA on on call basically to work with you on your books. And I did it, and it was ridiculously expensive. And I was like, just because, screw this. I don't want to worry about this. I'll pay it if it gets done and done right. And now yeah. I don't have to have the headache because it took me like two days racking my head against it. 
Damn. And he literally just gave me a number, which is their like customer support line. Just said, oh, yeah, just delete your account and restart. And I was like, dude, that's that's why I'm paying you so that you could fix it and that I don't have to do all this. And it's... Yeah, I've I've heard like for your books, you want a bookkeeper and then like the you'll take the corrected books and then you'll go to an accountant. So I didn't know they were different or or are they? I feel like I've heard they're different. Um. Well, now I'm confused. I, as well, as far as interpreting the books, maybe you want a dedicated uh, accountant. Um, but I feel like I, I know accounting enough, and like my mom's a CPA, not mm. currently working, but like she has the info and experience. Yeah, that I feel like I'm okay with interpreting the data and and forecasting and. And putting it together and putting it together. But it's just kind of working with QuickBooks system that I don't understand. And it's just yeah. super frustrating. Yeah. Um, so that's why I wanted the bookkeeper. Cause like, I don't, I don't feel like I need a, a true accountant except when it comes to like taxes, because I just don't know anything about, well, I don't know enough about taxes. I should say to, yeah. to really, you know, use it how I should, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I also have, I pay like um, we have a local guy that does business taxes and I just I pay him like 200 bucks and he does he files and gets all the deductions like just where to and it's totally worth it. So I guess you could technically call him a real accountant. And yeah, I mean, that's the way I think that's the way a lot of people should do it. Anyways, that's why I'm going to do it kind of thing. Yeah, there's no way I'm going to attempt to learn something that it's literally people's job to do. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I don't care that much. Like, I mean, yeah. you do care, obviously, but I don't care to know past, like, am I being screwed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, and and that's, I, I had that, I had the opposite mentality of like, oh, I can do this. It's not that hard. I'm pretty good at math, you know? And I was yeah. totally wrong. I totally was way over my head and not and and it took away from every other part of the business that now I'm solely focusing on stuff that I'm not even good at. Yeah. Uh just stupid. Yeah, yeah. But, that that kind of sounds like my patent experience where I oh my I, God. I yeah. thought I was paying someone else to to help me and do stuff and and I I had to do so much and like figure out like how do I write like technically like a uh you know like how do you write a patent how do you write descriptions of things and they're like right. you gotta you know the people who work at the patent office they're not always the brightest you gotta write it like a second grader could understand yeah. it and so i try to write things very clear specific you know i think i did a good job but then it's like okay now we're gonna rewrite it and, and it like gets turned into legalese and it's like what second grader could read this <laughs> Yeah, did you hire a a specific patent lawyer after yep. you wrote it? Uh, before I wrote it. Oh, okay. And they basically they weren't very helpful, or they took what you, they took your hard work essentially and just made it legalese. Um, I guess I'm asking about the the process itself. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I I don't know. Eventually, I'll make like a video about this. I I think the patent lawyer was good but i i also am confused about like what's normal in terms of what they do for you and so writing descriptions wasn't that bad but part of what made it so hard is um 
that my scissors are just kind of a complicated thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm had to patent like the specific current mechanism. I, I, I thought I couldn't patent just folding scissors essentially. So I, I didn't try early on, but maybe I actually could have, but now I can't because there's prior art. And so mm-hmm. because my videos were out there, uh, you know, just the entire concept of Balasong scissors isn't patentable, but I could patent the latest mechanism or hopefully, I guess I still don't know. could have yeah. been a giant waste, but, um, that means I had to, you know, go very specific and explain a lot of things. And it was hard because it was also during the pandemic. So I I've never met the lawyer in person or showed him the device in person. And so it took a long time to, you know, get him to understand um and then and then the prior art thing added more complication to it because i had to um i had more time to work on that so that's the thing i was like working on more uh recently is is writing like video transcripts explaining uh like how different uh older prototypes don't have the same design as the newer ones mm-hmm. st- stuff like that and uh but but also what was hard is i thought um like I thought in an ideal world, it's like you give them the 3d model and give them the basics and then they would create the drawings, but I mm-hmm. had to create the patent drawings basically. And that was super difficult because you know, depending on how much it's not clear how much info you need. So you could make a hundred drawings if you wanted to. And so I, I made dozens of drawings probably. And, uh, some were thrown out, some were kept, but then, those aren't allowed to be used. So basically what happened is they just had like someone professional kind of like trace them in black and white and add shading instead of, I I gave mine color because I knew they couldn't be used. And I was like, I might as well use color to make it as clear as possible. Um, But you know, you can't do that. So they had to uh, redo the drawings um, and just, you know, add their own cross hatching or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, the, the patent experience is a pain, is what I've heard. Yeah. And expensive. Oh, yeah. 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 So uh, we're actually working on a patent, too. And um, we just got the, what is it, per, uh, patent pending on a utility patent. So basically just reserve the spot. We actually haven't filed for the utility patent itself because we're still working on it. Um, but what my understanding, because we went and talked to a bunch of lawyers, too to figure it out is the lawyer's job specifically is to just give you as much protection as possible, which is the legalese. It's how do we make this definition of this part of this product as broad as possible to cover as many bases of copying as possible. Gotcha. Um, and so it's, it's like you don't want to include dimensions or materials or whatever in your description of your product, because if you wanted to make bally scissors out of plastic versus bally scissors out of aluminum, if you said, I want to make aluminum bally scissors, someone could come in and make plastic ones and it's not covered under your patent. Well, well it, you... so that, that's where it gets really complicated because it's like, um, if I, if I'm patenting the placement of the lobes on my special pins, mm-hmm. um, you know, the angle the lobes are at is kind of what's being patented. And so it's like, you try to expand it by putting in language like 
they're at an angle of approximately 37 degrees or whatever, uh, you know, and then like, I can't remember exactly how it's worded. And, and I think I remember it more with like linear dimensions, but it, you know, it gives kind of like a range. And so, yeah, you know, I can't, I probably don't have, um, a patent. If, if it gets approved, I probably can't make ballast scissors the size of a submarine and be protected, you know? Right. Uh, <laughs> it, so it, it's, it, even that's kind of weird. You can't just like, be like, oh, this is the general idea, but it could be any size, shape, whatever. But it, but it depends mm-hmm. what you're patenting, I guess, too. Yeah, well, yeah. So in our case, it's a, it's a little belt clip, very very simple idea, but with a couple of unique features. And basically, instead of the whole point was like make it as protective as possible, as opposed to because in my head, as a machinist, you know, in engineering mind, I'm like, oh, I'm going to give them dimension drawings so that somebody looks at the patent they could reproduce it because they need something that you know they need to clearly be able to understand the drawing and the description and yada 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 and uh so i was like here's the whole spacing that is a standard spacing we the reason that we're doing this whole pattern in the top of the clip is so that you have access uh, to the bottom of the, what be careful you know, what you say i know yeah I'm, you don't want to get yeah. the prior art problems i have trust me that's fair i, I was yeah maybe I was hoping voice is fine, but maybe it's not. I don't know. <laughs> I don't um, think you should. I don't, I don't think you should trust anything. Yeah. So basically, I in my head, that's like I was describing every detail, and we started talking to a lawyer, and and he was like, "Dude, no, you're like you you just basically want to say that you have a clip that has a couple holes in it, and and like a couple other defining features, but as broad yeah. as possible because." That way, nobody can even come close to your idea, as opposed to like adding another hole and in your patent no longer applies or whatever. Um, yeah, that's total, that's total the danger is, is all the time patents. Someone just makes a slight tiny change and uh, they get away with it. Like, um, you know, there's those things you can buy where uh, maybe I've talked about this on the podcast where it like fills up a bunch of water balloons at one time. You like attach to a garden hose and it right. feels like. 20 man the story of that guy is like so frustrating to hear about because he like came up with this idea a fun invention and uh you know started working on manufacturing them someone in china just steals the idea he he did have like a patent uh but it it took like so many years to fight it and spend like millions of dollars uh you know wouldn't already they're competing and selling and and kind of stealing his market share yeah. Um, and then he like wins, but there's all these like back and forths. And then there's some kind of like special patent cork that was invented like only a few years ago or something. And they just like overturned it. And oh, uh, like he lost his patent just because of the uh, or at least lost his case just because of the opinions of just like some judge or something. Yeah. yeah, that happens quite often. Not exactly in that way, but you spend all the time fighting the knockoffs and then they gain market share and then if it was a fad type item and it dies out well you're left empty-handed well yeah so yeah that's that's the thing is i i'm not getting a patent in every country so right off the bat that's like potentially its own thing and then saunders sean saunders argument he has a video about patent is like don't get a patent if you don't want to defend it 
you know, that like, that's the point. It's not just, uh, you know, I talk to people and all the time when I told people my idea, they're like, oh, did you patent it? Did you patent it as if it's like just this easy to get magic shield? Mm -hmm. But it's like, uh, it's a huge, difficult, time consuming, even worse than I thought it would be expensive process. And then it's like, okay, then do you want to spend time in a courtroom and, and even more money if you actually have to enforce the patent? Yeah, I I most of the time kind of anti patent, not anti. That's a strong word. I most of the time for me, it's more valuable to spend your time making the best product and being the best business as opposed to just you know technic technically being a monopoly just because you know you have you have the right patent or whatever. Um, but. That being said, there are definitely exceptions to that rule. I think the balances are a prime case is like being the, the very first to a entirely unique design. So, okay, patentable, definitely want to protect it. Um, the reason that we're pursuing a patent is just because if the biggest thing is domestic, I don't care about China. China's going to reproduce it and copy it and not, you know, it's just going to happen. Yeah, but, they'll, they'll do it. Yeah, but if I what we want to do is we want to partner with like holster makers and and those kind of people, and mm-hmm. we just didn't want them buying our clip and going, oh, that's a neat idea, and then then just making it themselves. Yeah, and so I fear what we thought is at least if we have a patent, we can have a very easy discussion with you know those kind of partners. Be like, hey, you can't make it yourselves because you will enter into a court case, and just kind of like dissuade that kind of thing and it's like we are truly the best people to buy it from yeah um, and I feel who like knows the most effective way to use the thing it seems like domestic yeah. anyways yeah, yeah or, or licensing it out or whatever yeah well and that's, that's hopefully you know uh, i've got rose tinted glasses on hope hopefully nobody actually tries to like copy and mass produce it um because there is a patent pending and and whatever but yeah, I'm not taking it to court with it. I can't afford that. <laughs> so. Yeah, and, and I I think like well, yeah, maybe that's not should be said either. But <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I think patents are are definitely they have their use, but it's it's such a thing you can't be sure about if you're not some giant corporation because it's like crazy, you know, Apple. Uh, patenting rounded corners on phones or whatever, right? And and these companies, you know, they'll just have dozens and dozens of patents regularly being filed. Um, but if you're a little guy, it's like, you know, it's 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 this huge expense, and and it may not be worth it. And I think either way, you just have to focus on making a good product, making people like what you do and want to support you over just whatever's the cheapest thing, um, customer service, you know, whatever you can do. I think you just have to do that. And, and if you patent things and it just takes away from that, it might just end up having the opposite effect. Yeah. Yeah, I, I also think a lot of things, you know, a lot of people, maybe I'm not talking about you, uh, Grant, but I think a lot of people, they probably have ideas that they think they could patent that they they probably couldn't. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I our, our idea even is is definitely on that edge. We just pursued it because we're like it it is unique enough that 
it's worth trying. Um, but yeah, there's so many things that is, you know, every, everyone's done something. There's a million versions of something in the world. Just because you couldn't Google it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. But I shouldn't think like that because apparently that's the mistake I made is I would have had a way easier, simpler patent process if I did just immediately, the like second I had the idea, try to do do a patent right. because then I wouldn't have the prior art stuff. I wouldn't have to patent a specific mechanism. I could potentially just patent the concept, which yeah. seems crazy. And I'm still not sure I completely buy that. But um, I, it, yeah, it's a weird. I don't know because <laughs> I spent so long getting the lawyer to understand uh the mechanism and stuff um and and like literally like months in or or longer uh they're like wait a minute this isn't just like a different type of ballast scissors this is the only ballast scissors and i was Mm -hmm. like i was like yeah they're like oh this is genius but (laughs) you should have just like come way earlier yeah i was like great (laughs) cool like yeah they don't they don't teach this in school sorry <laughs> but it's also like the lawyer, of course, isn't part of like the butterfly knife community or something. Yeah. You know, they don't know. I, it's such a hard thing is just like explaining, explaining anything that especially like your values, which is a unique thing in a niche hobby. Like you're stacking the the narrowing, the, the tunnel vision onto it. Uh, but like trying to explain that to a lawyer who's probably never like doesn't even have a knife or or a pocket knife kind of thing it's like that's it's so hard i mean the lawyer is like a patent lawyer so i think he went to mit and likes mechanical stuff so but you know still it's a big world well yeah yeah i'm not i'm not saying they're not you know intelligent or smart it's just like well i just meant you said like he probably doesn't even own a knife like he might have some cool knives Oh, okay. Yeah. That's fair. That's a fair point. Um, I so I I just found myself I find myself uh, you know whenever the inevitable question like you're in a social setting and someone asks, oh, what do you do? And I was like, oh, I make battle songs and pull out my battle song. And there's just so many levels of things that they they don't comprehend of like, oh, you you machine this out of a block yeah. of titanium with an end mill. Like they don't know what that is. No. <laughs> and then it's like the end result is a ballast song, which is two handles and a floating blade with a bushing system. Like they don't know what that is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the first time I showed some people, um, some like non-machining people. I know my first ever aluminum prototype, mm-hmm. like they could not understand it at all. Like they're like, <laughs> you made this like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, it's like, it's not just like stuff you bought. It's like, yeah. And it's like, so did, did you like cast the aluminum? You like <laughs> melted it down and, and like, yeah, we're one of the guys was like an electrical engineer yeah. or something, or, or at least in that kind of field. And, and like, still people like don't know what machining is. Yeah. It's, it's tricky. Um, anyway, <laughs> how, how was y'all's weeks? Soap. <laughs> soap. New soap. soap. It's yes. good. It's good. It hurts my hands when I put my hands in it though. Cause it's how you know it's working. Yeah. I was like, this stuff works so good, but because I can't use my bare hands in it, will I use it? <laughs> yeah. Well, so what's the stuff called? What it's it's Alkanox or uh, I think that's what it's called. But that's just one like name of cleaners this company makes, I guess. Oh, actually, no, that's yeah. the name of the company. That's also the name of the soap. What uh, are you using put- the soap for? So I so 
what I was using for it was I was going to use it for acid etching. And mm-hmm. then I read like the data sheet on it or whatever and was like perfect for ultrasonic cleaning. And I was like, oh, sweet. Let me give it a shot. Man, does it work? It works nice. so good. And I was like expecting like, yeah, I mean, it sort of works a little bit better kind of. And I was like, no, no, it's noticeably better, which is wow. you know, it's good basically. But I was using Simple Green and the ultrasonics before. Mm-hmm. And really the only benefit to that is it's really cheap and you can get it everywhere and it doesn't burn your hands when you. Yeah. Cut. But this stuff, I mean, like, so I have like I'll buy titanium or whatever, and then sometimes it co- comes sheared or whatever or bandsaw it. And it's just dirty from wherever it's been sitting, whoever you get it from. And it'll have like yeah. oil just stuff on it so i'll like stack it up and i'll put it in the ultrasonic and just like clean the group basically and usually the simple green won't really do much to kind of the if there's pieces of stock like shouldered up against each other or like touching each other well i put it in this stuff for just like 30 minutes and then took it out and you could like the dirt or the oil or whatever was like dripping off of them and i was like oh this is so cool whoa why do my hands hurt? <laughs> are you putting it straight in the ultra cl- sonic cleaner or are you using like a sub container or are you mixing it with water? So for, for the, this stock, the, it's got a little like steel basket. So I just place it on the steel basket and then, um, yeah, that's, it's just sitting on that. But for smaller, the smaller knife parts, I'll use plastic containers that sit submerged essentially. So they're not sitting on anything. Um, I've, I've heard for, for someone who knows ultrasonic cleaners that, they're supposed to be kept as pretty full because of the way the, I don't know how they work. Whatever does the ultrasonicking yeah. isn't anywhere near as effective if the water level is low, which, yeah. which I didn't know that this was like months ago, but, um, and then, yeah. And so this soap's like a powdered, it's a detergent and it's four, four pounds makes 50 gallons. So you literally put like a, you know, a spoonful into the ultrasonic and then yeah you're good so i don't know it seems to work really good and i did a like a water break test too so i put some in like a just a normal container and use like a toothbrush and brushed like one of the blades Mm -hmm. and then did the same thing with like simple green and simple green like a water break test is you spray it pretty aggressively with water and the water's like has the sheet off essentially and if Mm -hmm. it if if there's any little like bubbles or bumps or just some weird thing when the water like hits the surface that's actually like there's a contaminant of some sort on the surface and when you use the simple green you kind of have to do it quite a bit clean pretty aggressively kind of to get it to fully sheet the water off and like water break essentially and then the alkanox or whatever i just brushed it and then and it water broke like immediately and didn't have any it was pretty cool, actually, but like I said, you have to use gloves when you're using it. So, yeah, I use yeah. goggles too. Yeah, but I'm always, believe it or not, actually always wearing safety glasses. So, hey, my eyes are important, my ears not so much. But, um, the so like you'll machine something, and like I'll just have my hands, you know, being hands like normal, and then yeah. like oh, I take this thing <laughs> out of the ultrasonic, and I'm like, uh. Oh, right. So it does have an extra bit of prep work. So I don't know if it's worth it. But. Yeah. Uh, do you use your ultrasonic heated or is it just 
ambient. Heated, yeah. It works what, way better heated. It's oh yeah, definitely. Fifty Celsius, forty-five okay. Celsius. What is that? I think I picked forty-five because it was melting, or it was really it was damaging plastic when I went in there at fifty. Like it would mm, warp gotcha. plastic. Oh, wow. Yeah. Anyways, whatever, whatever. Fifty Celsius. This is too hot for for shower bins, I guess. But, yeah. And then, um, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, I I uh, switched to Dawn from Simple Green because mm. I noticed what I was mostly trying to get rid of was machine coolant, which is obviously oil based. Yeah. Um, and the Dawn did way better than the Simple Green. Yeah. Um, so I I would. I'd be curious. I, I'll have to get some of this stuff because it sounds like it's it's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, you can compared get it to the Don. Nice. I, I am a little bit worried because I know our intern would not put gloves on uh, <laughs> and he'd <laughs> get some chemical burns, which is not good. Yeah, it's it's like it's just a it's a mild irritant is the way it's listed, and mm. it's not like a burn, but you do feel it. So I you it's definitely not good for you long term, but right. I feel like I heard, uh, like, remember the Tide Pod challenge thing where people were actually eating Tide detergent pods. Yes. And uh, there's this one guy who makes videos about people's what happens in your body if you do whatever. And yeah, man, it's like, video. yeah, it's disturbing. Like, I don't even remember that well, but, you know, the cells of your body disintegrating or something. Yeah, yeah, just gosh. detergent in it. Pretty, uh, pretty strong stuff. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. It's meant to kill things. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> uh, and then so the just the last I was working on a knife for Dalen, and oh, I had to make three sets of handles for it. <laughs> oh gosh, this is <laughs> the same knife you started like a month ago. Yes. Oh my gosh, dude. <laughs> yeah, and then and then like I got it together and then it just had like lock stick which is when like when the lock bar doesn't want to easily close with your thumb. And yeah. I was like, what is going on with this knife? This thing is literally cursed. And I mean like literally cursed. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I tried like six different lock bars and I was like, I don't understand what is going on anymore. It tried different blades and stuff. And then it ended up being the bearings were bad so i what? buy bearings yep so i buy bearings and they're and these are not the first set of bearings and they're not cheap they're like the teflon caged bearings with the ceramic balls i don't know if you've ever seen yep. them yep I, yeah i bought them before yeah and they had burrs on them or the tolerance on where the actual the balls themselves are sitting was not very good and it was i took one of the bearings out and i looked at it and it actually had like a warp in it like it was whoa uh, i don't know it's like if you had a miniature foot and you could step in the middle of it <laughs> but <is the> <laughs> into yeah. it yeah yeah and i'm looking at it and i'm like no this can't be it that, that's kind of there's no way so i like reassembled it with a new set of bearings that were not like burred up and had this weird warp to it and then it worked fine and i was like that is really annoying yeah. yeah it's stupid and these bearings are <laughs> there's those honestly the bearings are really expensive 
for what they are. Like I understand mm-hmm. what's offensive, but and it was not the first set of them in this set that was bad. And I was yeah. like, where's the QC? Like these are literally like I can visually see they're bad. So oh yeah. Um I didn't actually mean to talk about Talon's knife, but it just took it took me a long time to get together. But then when it came together, my God, I'll have pictures of it on the like posted at some point. But oh nice. The thing is a beauty. Um Hell so yeah. now as far as like typically machine the handles like surfacing them on the fourth axis, and then you take them off and then you put them in the tumbler and it ends up taking like six hours anyways. And then you mm-hmm. wonder what the point the fourth axis is. So I was like, okay, I'm really tired of like there should be this should be better. So then I was messing with I don't know if you guys saw, but I was like what does 700 inches per minute cutting look like? And I was like, oh, that didn't really work. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I saw that. But there was, I was hoping, you know, I was like, with a light enough cut, but I'll try like a more flute count cutter later. So then I was like, how about a bullnose? People keep telling me to try this, and I'm like, no, it's fine. I just rough with one. The service mm-hmm. looks really good when I rough with one, and then when I use a ball, it's not as good, but I haven't put two and two together yet. <laughs> I was like, oh, maybe I should, <laughs> I should finish with one. So then I tried it and I was like, oh, this is perfect. Threw them in the tumbler. It's just like 45 minutes to get them to like a perfect tumble. And I was like, this is it. Wow. Yeah. And it was so funny too, because I was like telling a friend of mine, I was like, this is a major breakthrough. And I in like the back of my mind, I was like, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was like, I tumbled them and I was like, it's funny because like you do this uh, really nice, like low step over, like uh, 10,000 step over or whatever with this bullnose. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, even with a bullnose is the top of the handles have a contour to them. So they have a top arc. So that's right. what makes it kind of difficult and why I was kind of mm-hmm. resistant on doing a bullnose because I was like, well, a bullnose is flat anyways in the center. So with the arc of the handle, I didn't think it would benefit. So I was like, if you could just tilt with the ball, and then that was the only way. But Fusion has a the a flow toolpath, which a lot of people know about it. But it used to be able you could use it and restrict it to like fourth axis because flow is typically like a fifth axis toolpath, yeah, yeah, or three axis only, and not four. And they had it before to where you could restrict it to four and then they took it away because it was pretty buggy and they brought yeah. it a couple months ago and it's still kind of hard to work with. But the way this works out on the the handles is when I made when I actually designed the handles, unlike the blade, the the UV uh dot the actual what do you call it? The UV surface of the handles are perfectly they're correct, if you will, as far as like UV direction goes or surface and so in the long direction i don't know what that is i don't know if that's mm-hmm. it's basically if you there's no the point density like the point spread on like when a toolpath is actually laid out over it is is perfect there's no like weird yeah weirdness about the service and flow basically works on those curves and that's how it lays the toolpath path out and so if you can, if you could take the center or the bottom of the tool and you could align it to the surface to those that that curve, you can essentially like machine it 
I don't know how to describe this. But the point is, like, I take the bottom of the the bullnose and the fourth axis takes a pass and then it rotates the handle to face exactly the bottom of the bullnose again. So you're oh. Yeah, so you're always hitting that exact um what do you call it? It's like the exact spot where you would perfectly want the tool to be in a perfect world kind of. So it's like almost simulating like it is a flat surface in a way. Yeah. If you think about it um, versus a ball nose, so ball nose is going to leave a crater essentially based on your step amount. And that's going to be your, your cusp. So like that, that valley and peak. Well, the bull nose even though it's flat and you take like a step over instead of leaving these little um, craters or these little, these valleys, it leaves a flat spot with two rounded edges because you yeah. take a flat pass and then you rotate the fourth axis and you take another flat pass. Well, the, the way a tumbler works is it's essentially perfect for that because all it needs to yeah. do is just round the edge over to its neighbor. Unlike yeah. The, you know, unlike a cusp pipe where it actually has to deburr all the way down to the same level, it's a lot mm-hmm. quicker just to round edges over. And I think that's why it does it. But yeah, I was very yeah. excited because it, it leaves the definition of the knife a lot better. So how it's like originally designed, it looks a lot better with the chambers not being so rounded over as usual. But mm-hmm. it's tumbled as you would expect it, which is really exciting because Tumbling stuff, like needing a pair of handles for an order and then having to plan and then waiting like seven plus hours is really annoying. So, yeah, it's sweet. And yeah, that's how much fun. <laughs> that's very cool. Uh, that's pretty cool. rambly. But... No, that's that's huge, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah. that's cool. And it's like it is weird to think about. Um, I have thought a lot about like how you could use a flat bottom tool on a curved surface and mm-hmm. like it seems like it should be better, but it's like how are you, you're like cutting into the bottom of the tool, or like where is it cutting in in where like the flutes are meeting in the middle, or yeah, whatever. And, and that's why being able to turn the fourth axis to mm-hmm. align properly for every pass is the only yeah. reason it works. Because otherwise, it was just going to be kind of the same thing. So yeah. now I'm trying to get it to work on the blade, which has been. A problem. And I've been trying to fix it for like the last eight hours, I think. Oh, no. So on the handles, is is the curves on the handles just one direction? Or is it like a compound curve where it's curving in two directions? If you you look at the handle straight on, and then, how do I describe this? Straight on, so like the length is running away from you. It's one continuous arc. And it's just a drawn arc. Like if you took yeah. the sketch arc infusion and just drew it straight and then extruded it straight, that would create yeah. that surface. So there's not like, it's not like a control spline or anything. Yeah. It's just one continuous, what do they call that? Like a G2 or there's a, like a word for it. But so yeah. Well, it, I, it, I, it, I meant it, like if you, had, if you hold up a piece of paper and you like added a little curve to it, that's like one curve, but if you tried to have it simultaneously curved in the opposite direction, it would it would be difficult to do that with a piece of paper, right? 
Yes. And, yeah. and so if your handles are just one curve, that just like one curve on a piece of paper, it seems like that could be good for the bull nose. But if you're trying to get two curves like the blades might have on the on, you know, they're kind of curving in multiple directions at once. Yeah, it seems like it might be a more tricky problem. So the other thing to think about, too, is the the handles curve like a bridge. <laughs> I know we talked about convex versus concave, but I still don't remember what the difference is. The handles are convex. The blade is concave. Yes. And oh, it's, it's a hollow grind. Yeah. Yes. And oh, that's, okay. that's what makes it so difficult to get one, the surface correct, and then two, to get the toolpath to work on it. Because the bullnose is like, oh, we come up to the, you know, to the actual, what? Why am I drawing a blank on what the end of the blade is called? Where you sharpen it? The choil. When yeah. you get to the choil and that the surface wants to, the hologram wants to go straight up back to like the blade width really fast. Well, the mm-hmm. fourth axis has a really hard time, both like in point density and spinning it fast enough along with the other axes to do it correctly. And then I'm having mm-hmm. just like, kind of a weird flow related toolpath issue that's adding lines just where it shouldn't be. But that has to do with the fact that when I created the surface for the blade, I did it really poorly mm. by like deleting a face and then patching a face here and then trying to combine them. And then oh. it visually works. But then when you actually want to utilize it in any sort of way, it's really screwed up. And now I understand the importance of actually having good surfaces, but that's stuff you never think about. Like when you first start doing oh, like design anything. Definitely know? not. Yeah. Now I do, but it's like, <laughs> you wouldn't think that was that critical, but yeah. apparently it is. So, <laughs> so you're, you're trying to use a bull nose to, to do your blades now. So that is the plan. And the only reason is, well, I mean, there's multiple reasons, but basically like when you rough with the bullnose and it has actually the stair steps, mm-hmm. it's a full mirror, like in between the steps. Right. And I'm like, if you could just take a wide enough pass and have the fourth axis turn and get it to cut, you could have something that again would tumble really really fast instead of having the same same concept like on the handles uh it would still be a a cusp though because it's a hollow and you're using the corner of a bull nose so no because because flow the way the fourth axis flow works is it it's cutting on center line of the tool but the center line can't actually touch the hollow where it needs to because Am I? Am I? No, I, I'm following you, and I'm I'm looking at his knife, and it's like such a, such a shallow hollow grind. I feel like, like it's, it, like I would have thought it's basically flat. Um, like I don't know, maybe it could work, but yeah, I I feel like the tool would just kind of bridge over, bridge over the hollow. I see what you're saying. Like I'm trying to visualize it. Yeah. So I, mean, I, I think. I, okay. So. Because so like, let's say you can't turn the surface, right? And you take a bull nose and then you take step overs. So you're going right. to leave cusps. But yeah. let's say, let's say you could take the bull nose and you could always keep it zero degree to the surface. So, so bottom is flat to the relative surface. Yes, I, actually. Well, so I guess it doesn't work because it is con 
effects, right? Kind of. Yeah, well, that that's what I'll say because you have a it's gonna leave a dish essentially. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that you're trying to put a flat thing into a a dish, you yeah. know, of a dish, which means you're never gonna actually touch the dish in the middle. Well, what so, I'm trying to think about though is if there's enough difference between the size of the dish and the tool, if you still end up better than cusps of of uh, a ball, um, and I and I think so because well, so, like um, like you could imagine a concave dish, but it's like you know in video games everything's like made of polygons. You know, you could just have like a bunch of flat surfaces even if it's concave and I'm trying to think about if that's possible, if you pick the right size tool, you know, or, and, and there'd be like slight curves maybe connecting them. I, I don't know. If you can make these cusps like wider than they are from a ball tool, then that should lower the time tumbling takes. Okay. Even yeah. if you really fine step over anyway. So, so the way I'm, the way I see it, um, is your cusp is generated by the actual bullnose of the tool, right? Because the flat is not contacting the bottom, but the edges are. So, th- so your cusp is going to be whatever that bullnose radius is. Say, say it's sixty thou. I don't, I don't know. But um, if you used a quarter inch ball nose, your cusp is going to be a quarter inch compared to a sixty thou cusp. So it would actually be a much s- smaller cusp. If you use the bullnose, do you know? Do you know oh, how uh, how big like the radius of of your hollow is? See, that's the other thing is it's <laughs> it's a it is a compound like it's got two curves in it. Yeah. Oh, it does. Yeah, and it's it's like not and two arcs. It's like a control spline, I think. So it's oh quite- god. It's quite opposite compared to, and then the the other funny thing is when it when it gets to the choil, it actually slopes inwards slightly, and you can't see it with your eyes, but design wise, it does like, you know, like yeah. maybe a tenth or two or something. But it's like it starts at the tip as being extremely really really narrow, and then it takes a while for it to actually start to arc up. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it is quite a machining problem i guess you know definitely uh, one thing to note <laughs> we all should have gone with the chisel a flat chisel grind or yeah. or a, do, do reviewers really care i mean come on <laughs> the hologram um, is nice though but yeah it's pretty sexy um so we i use a ball nose for the medusa stepped bevels and as a fair warning every time I do see tool wear problems. It's always in the corner of the of the stair step. It's like where the actual bull nose is, Mm -hmm. which makes me think that with your approach where you're basically you're only seeing where the bull nose is cutting because the uh, the bull is creating the final cusp. That is probably where you're going to see the most wear marks, in which case you may not actually get that mirror finish you're looking for because it's. So I just tried to draw it in fusion and because it bridges over, you can't like actually perfectly hit the geometry, but I just drew a big arc and then I drew a bull nose touching it or like a shape, you know, and then I patterned like 300 of it around 
the big arc. Yeah. And like the way I'm looking at it, I, I do think you can get flat spots like because, it you know, if you just overlap it enough, you aren't getting the cusps like you would with a ball. Um, you know, like I said, it's not touching because it's bridging, but you're creating a, a bunch of flat spots. So so it might be possible, but it would require it to be just like a single curve, like the just, you know, bending a piece of papers. Since you got curves going in different directions, I think it's going to create uh, weird different surface finishes. Yeah. The one test I did do yesterday does lend itself to a much better consistent mirror it like surface compared to the ball and okay with basically like a quarter of the runtime because it was like 12 minutes to get this and then to get the same thing with the ball it was like an hour and 10 minutes yeah but, but that that where the choil is is what kills it is because of like point spacing or it's just not the machine. It's not the correct machine for this. And, mm-hmm. and granted, it, it's not. But like the fourth axis is probably not fast enough or has enough resolution to do it because it slows down right there. And then it just chatters like crazy and leaves that wavy. It's cut like a dish kind of look to it. Like yeah. it looks terrible. And so it might not be worth it in the end. And you just have to get over it. And it takes like eight hours to tumble blades kind of thing. But I don't know. And I guess the challenge is the reason I keep trying. Yeah. I mean, if it works, it works. It'd yeah. Be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I'm curious how the, how the tool life stacks up, though, because. Probably not that good. <laughs> well, so like I said, as soon as like it, our first bevel is mirror polish, just like just like you're saying. Yeah. But the sixth bevel, I can see the tool wear marks following through and they tumble out just fine but i can see them and that's why i'm worrying like as soon as the tool starts to wear your 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 entire surface is going to be that bull nose wear mark oh yeah which may not be good <laughs> yeah and i have a a hard time changing tools that should be changed i'm like yeah yeah but i don't know especially like these expensive ball nose i'm like no this one's still good <laughs> this dude yeah cloudy finish i'm like no 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 don't die on me <laughs> yeah I, I had i it was a big mental hurdle to get over throwing away i i had to because i was trying to like make one end mill last as long as it could and i was scrapping like four no i was scrapping six blades a week yeah. which adds up a lot especially when i'm making sets of handles for all those blades that could have been sold yeah um and, and, and i was like okay too, yeah yeah and i was like if i just throw away this end mill at the end of the day, every single day, I will get those six blades back to being good. And that is way more opportunity cost and much more money coming in than I'm losing with just this one. So it's an expensive end mill. It adds up. It's like 500 bucks a week. But that, you know, one knife being sold that otherwise would have been scrapped kind of pays for it. Yeah, I'm not mentally like against it. I'm actually mentally overthrowing tools away. Like it doesn't bother me. It's just the fact that I just don't produce enough to where yeah. it hurts more that way. If I was like, oh yeah, like you can run the numbers easy and go, we produce X amount per week and then the cost versus a ball, then it's like, yeah, throw it away. But for yeah. me, it's like, because I'm so sporadic about things, it's like, can I get another one out of it type thing? But I definitely that makes see sense. 
the logic for sure in doing that. And I would, I wish like I was living that currently, but it's still, I, it's still not there. It's just not optimized, I guess. No, I get it. It's so, it's so much harder to, to like keep track of it when you're doing that. Cause whenever I'm in prototyping mode that I have the exact same thing. I'm like, Hey, how many, how many actual bevels have I run with this ball? Oh, yeah. five and a half. Okay. I can get, I can get a full six out of it. You know, like, yeah. um, so I, I get it. What it only really works when you're in, you know, daily routine production going out, you can figure out what your how many blades come from one tool and then you just throw it away. And is it's the only way you guys, since we're dealing with small tools is the only way you guys tell that, you know, when you should change a tool is, is based on the surface finishes you're getting, or do you feel like you can hear a change in the sound or, or any other, any other way to tell, or do you like look at the tools under a, a loop? Well, titanium is super easy because I can hear it. And I mean, you can hear it. You can see the surface finish. And usually there's some pretty obvious. Usually it's coating wear for me. Um, mm-hmm. My titanium tools rarely chip. They're either they're either coating wear or they just break. Um, but then hard milling tools, it's always surface finish. My, my used hard milling rougher looks brand new every time I throw it away. And it's heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah, it's just that one tiny little fracture right on the yeah. edge. Yep. Yep. For at least for me, it's like definitely in titanium. You can hear it. Like even a one eighth tool, a roughing. You're like, wow, that's way louder than it was. And then mm-hmm. I'm kind of mean to them when they break. <laughs> the smaller tools when they break, not a big deal because they're like a one sixteenth tool when it breaks. It's not a because it's actually tapered down and it breaks at the taper, mm-hmm. but. Tools that are shanked and their flutes are like the same as the tool diameter, I tend to replace before they break. Because I've noticed if you let those break, they'll snap right at the collet and they yeah. start damaging the face of the collets. And collets are so good. Collets are pretty expensive, honestly. And then yeah, yeah. so I mean, yeah, I, I've just like been so inconsistent with like I'm just trying out different tools or whatever it may be, and so I feel like. I just don't even have enough experience to to know when I should be switching out tools. I just and it and for me, if I'm like prototyping or messing around, I will just run it till it breaks or really yeah. stops working, basically. Because especially my aluminum tools, like a lot of them, I've kept in there for a while, and I'm like, I don't see any reason to switch them. Yeah, something stuff like on my stuff. The finishers are square, square end, because a lot of the bores or the uh-huh. pins and stuff have to have actual squared bottoms to them, like at the end of their yeah. shoulders. So I will check those every once in a while. I'll pull the whole tool out and look at it under a microscope. There's a pretty cool like Cat 43D print that I have. You can just lay oh, it nice. on something and, and twist the tool around and look under the scope and you can go, oh yeah, it doesn't have corners and then change it that way. But yeah. Should we start wrapping up? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, thanks. Bye. Have a nice rest of your week, everyone.